Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. The podcast is turning one this week. One year ago today, Kate, September, and I pulled up our chairs to this table. And perhaps you've been with us since the very beginning, or maybe you're just tuning in for the very first time today. No matter how long you've been with us, we want you to know that we're just so honored that you've taken time out of your busy days to chat motherhood with us. Over the past 12 months, we've hit some really hard things together. We've talked about infant loss and depression, marriage struggles. We've even chatted about navigating the talk with our kids, but we've also enjoyed some lighter and more practical discussions like meal planning and spiritual discipleship, building community and hospitality. If you've missed any of these conversations, we'd invite you to head on over to mom to mom podcast forward slash podcast to get caught up. Today, we're passing the mic to you. Over the last few weeks, we've invited you to share with us some of your burning questions, things you've always wanted to ask us or maybe ask a mom a little further on the journey. And you took us up on the offer. Dozens of questions poured in, and today we're going to try to tackle as many as we can. No question is off limits, and no struggle is too small. So ladies, I've got just a whole bunch of questions from our listeners, and we're just going to plow through as many of them as we can. Today, I hope you're ready. Here's the first one. Someone wants to know how you deal with temper tantrums and bad attitudes. Are there any particular books or resources you'd recommend for training in, in discipline and discipleship in this area? Well, for myself, temper tantrums, bad attitudes, um, in our home, I just stop this right in their tracks and I don't stand and allow the bad behavior to continue and just wait it out. I've seen that happen before. I've seen it play. Some people just say, I, I just ignore them, pretend I don't hear them or see them. I feel like this is sending children the message that as they grow older, this behavior is allowable. And then anytime they're unhappy or don't like something, they can act out and behave however they wish. I don't leave the room and ignore it, hoping that the message of ignoring their behavior is going to send the message that no one cares and notices. So what I do is I send my child to their room or a corner and I stop the behavior right in their tracks. I don't allow temper tantrums, um, bad attitudes. I actually point it out and say, you know, I see you're having a bad attitude. We don't allow this behavior. We're going to stop now. If they continue, I send them to their room or a place of quiet and they're not allowed to, you know, continue in that pattern. But really the true message that I'd like to send in our home is getting to the heart root issue and giving our kids those put off, put on behaviors. That's really the key in our home. Um, I have a list of resources I'm actually going to add to the end of this podcast um, about anger and um, temper tantrums and bad behavior. But really, when we give our child an alternate way to express their emotions and feelings, it's positive and we show them how to put off bad behavior. I really think that's the key. We can't just tell a child, don't act like that. We need to give them a different alternative to express what they're feeling and thinking. I love that September. Um, you know, it's been about 30 years for me since I had a little one. So I don't have any current resources or books that I can add, but I will say this. 
whatever you decide to do with discipline, just be consistent. Find whatever works for you and your family. Find a plan, find a method, and stick with it. Let your children know that your word is the law. I, I remember when Franny was young, she was probably about three or four years old, and she got mad at me about something. And she some some instruction I gave her, she didn't want to follow. And she just said, I don't like you, mommy. And I said, you know what? You don't have to like me, but you do have to obey me. And I think one of the mistakes we make as moms is we want our kids to like us. We want to be friends. And, and I mean, of course you want your child to love you and like you, but it's a trap we can easily get sucked into that, you know, everything has to be sunshine and rainbows all the time. It's not going to be that way. Kids, you know, they, they get attitudes, they get upset. Things happen that frustrate them, that make them angry. And we have to decide as a parent how we're going to deal with those issues and not just get them back to that point of liking us. I mean, I, I let her know very early on, it wasn't about that. It was about there. I was trying to instill certain things in her and raise her a certain way. And, and it, it, it worked fine for her, but again, I only had one to deal with. So it might've been a little bit easier for me. It's important. Our children know we mean what we say and we won't be manipulated. And one, one piece of advice is don't discipline in anger. If you're mad, if they've really made you, you know, want to pull your hair out, wait till you've settled down so that you can speak calmly but firmly with your child and, and make sure they know you're firm in your position and that you won't back down and that, you, you know, you talk about, here's what you did. Here's another way. I like the way you said that September about putting on and putting off, you know, that, that what you're doing is not how, how it operates in our house. It's not going to be acceptable and just stay firm, but do it with with grace and with love and wait till you've calmed down. Kate, I could not echo that any louder. Matching will for will and snark for snark and actually having what I would call an adult tantrum in reaction to their tantrum really isn't going to model the behavior that you're trying to see lived out in their own life. You're actually backing up or giving them permission and license to act that way when that's how you yourself react to a tantrum. Even at that age, I would say, especially at that age, your kids need to see you model a good response when you're not getting your way, when you're not seeing the reaction from them that you would like to see. So actually, I think your reaction to their tantrum will often speak more clearly than whatever consequence that you can dole out. Remember that the wrath of man does not bring forth the righteousness of God. That's what James 1.20 tells us. And I also think oftentimes tantrums breed tantrums, kind of like what September was saying. In other words, if you allow a tantrum or a bad attitude and you just ignore it or you walk away from it, your kids will use a tantrum to leverage you in the future. In other words, if it, if it worked once to get their way, they'll most definitely use it again. So I think um, just to echo what September and Kate were saying, the key is really proactive parenting. Do the training on the front end, train their character. September has some wonderful character resources that we've alluded to in the podcast before, and we'll put those in the show notes. Um, so if you, if you work on training their character first, you will, chances are, have less tantrums to deal with on the back end. But even beyond that, remember that often for toddlers, a tantrum is just their dramatic way to get your attention, to tell you their disappointment or their anger. 
their verbal skills at that point really haven't caught up with their cognitive skills. So they might have a thought of frustration and they really don't have a way to voice it other than in their mind, throwing a tantrum. So be willing to listen to their frustration when they don't voice it in a tantrum. When they can come to you and say, mommy, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, don't ignore it and don't belittle it. So then you're backing up the fact that you are willing to listen to them and that it's okay to be frustrated about something. It's just not okay to act out with a tantrum. So when their feelings are validated in healthy ways, they'll have no need to voice them in destructive ways. I also just want to throw in here that we're assuming that this question comes from a mother who has a child that meets normal developmental markers. Most of what we've said here is not intended for the child that, let's say, has autism or Asperger's or some other special need. And I think we need to um, make that very clear because that mother who has a special needs child is dealing with um, some very unique situations. And so it needs to be handled in some very unique ways. I'll just throw out two resources for the mom who's looking to um, read into this and explore this a little bit further. Two books that have been helpful for me. I really recommend Effective Parenting in a Defective World by Chip Ingram, and I'll link to that in the show notes. And also, if you have tweens or teens, I'd highly recommend the book Grace-Based Parenting by Tim Kimmel. And I know September and Kate have some other resources. So check out our show notes at momtomompodcast.com so that you can have access to those. Ladies, here's our second question. A reader wants to know if we have any practical tips for dealing with burnout. Well, I think we can begin with the question, are we talking about avoiding burnout or are we talking about dealing with burnout? Because those are two different questions. So I'm just gonna going to address how to deal with burnout. Like you're already there and you're realizing that you're physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually drained. And as a mom, you just can't do one more thing. Um, I think we in this culture, and especially as moms, can relearn what two things. What makes a good mom? And two, what rest is. So I think we in this culture have a lot of expectations, whether we've taken them on ourselves or we try to meet the expectations of others or what we think others think about us. And we get ourselves into a place of exhaustion, the comparison trap, physically, emotionally uh, spent, and it really takes a toll on our families and our bodies. And so um, maybe just kind of let some of those expectations go and say, we can do without this. We can do without that in our schedule. My kids will be okay if I don't deal with this, but physically and mentally and emotionally relearning what rest is when you're dealing with burnout, that is key. Um, making sure you're getting back to some good health exercise and maybe kind of rethinking the the thought process about rest. Like we sometimes think that rest is not doing something, but we can be at rest while we're in the motions of being a mom, um, being at peace is being at peace with what we do. It doesn't mean like taking a nap. Um, I think sometimes as moms, we get to a place of burnout because we're pushing through, we're pushing through, we're pushing through instead of kind of taking uh, our mom moments kind of one at a time. So let's say your kids are going outside to play and there's something else you need to do, kind of calming your heart, embracing that moment, getting them ready to go outside and play and not worrying about what is next. Because at the end of the day, 
those moments where you have focused attention and you have a peaceful spirit are really the moments that your children remember. And what brings us into a state of burnout is when all of those things stacked on top of one another, um, the driving places, the homework, making a meal, um, in a spirit of frenzy and anxiety is going to burn us out. So I myself have experienced this. I've shared that on my personal um, social media pages and I've written about it. Um, and there's so much we can do to avoid it. But when you're dealing with it, I think that, um, you know, getting back to the basics is key. I don't have too much more to add to that, but um, burnout usually happens in my own life when I'm trying to take on too much instead of doing what's mine to do. It happens when I'm holding everything in my life to an equal level of importance instead of deciding what needs my best attention and what can be done just kind of good enough. It happens when I don't allow my husband and my children to step in and help because I assume that their help won't be up to my caliber. And so when I feel like I'm struggling with burnout and I look, I take a good hard look at my life and my days, that's usually what I can point the finger at is that I'm just holding on to my responsibilities too tightly. And really what it boils down to in my own life is a pride thing that I feel like I'm the only one who can do that task to its excellent possibilities. And I need to just let that go. I don't have time in my days for pride like that. And I'm not saying that that's everyone's issue. I know that that's my issue. When I feel burned out, I can trace it all the way back to pride. And so I just need to learn to do what is mine to do and let the rest go. With that, how can a mom keep her perspective where it needs to be? Now, this particular listener didn't necessarily allude to what perspective she was talking about, but I guess I can assume that it's just um, just the worldview that we have as moms and what should our priorities be, that we don't get distracted by maybe all the busyness or we don't get distracted by the worldly trappings that we see around us. I just think that all of us as Christ followers really only need one perspective in our mothering, and that's the Lord's. And if, if you don't know what that is, I suggest getting some counsel from an older, more experienced mom, or maybe somebody at your church that you can talk to, because an older woman's perspective will help you find the correct perspective for your mothering. Each season of mothering is different from the others. Toddlers and teenagers have very different needs. So knowing that your mothering style will change as the years go by, well, that's important. Ask the Lord for his perspective. Give that much more weight than what you see on, let's say, social media or you know, just books and things that you read. His perspective and wisdom on child rearing is eternal. Facebook's perspective or Instagram's perspective is going to be different six months from now. There's going to be some new method, some new way, some new way of you know thinking through this whole thing. But 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 it's scripture is quite clear on how to raise our children and how to how to be an effective mom. And I think if we look for that perspective, that's going to be the thing that we can hold on to throughout our mothering journey. Kate, I think being in the word daily is absolutely essential. And, and I guess I would just take that one step further because I know myself and how I can sometimes treat the word as a mom. I think it's easy during these training years to kind of only sit with the word with, with my kids, to use the Bible as a textbook for them or a discipline rod, or maybe as fodder for the next sort of discipleship lesson that I want to train them in. 
but the truth has to be poured in before it can be poured out. So I think my perspective will be an overflow of whatever I'm investing my attention to. So I have to be in the word for my own sake. And I think that's sometimes something that we forget as moms because we look at our time in the word as an opportunity to sort of um, soldier on in training our own kids and to arm ourselves for, for what we need for them as opposed to arm ourselves for what we need for ourselves. Matthew 6.21 reminds us that whatever we place our treasure in, our heart is going to be there also. And usually we think of that verse in light of money, but I think we can also use it to refer to our time and our energy. So invest your time in God's word and your heart, which is your perspective, will follow there. And as the song says, the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We won't be so distracted by the trappings of the world or the things that just don't matter here on earth. How do you spend time, ladies, or how do you make time to spend with each of your individual children? And that's going to look different from all of us because we have the gamut of kids, all the way from one all the way to 10. So September, you start us out. Well, first I want to say to anyone asking this question, and we get, I get asked this question a lot, how do I make time to spend with each individual child? Um, I don't. Okay. So there, there's the answer. I don't make time all the time to spend time with all of my kids. I do my best to spend time with each of my children, but not on a everyday regular basis. It's virtually impossible expectation to live up to. So I just want to begin with that, but it is possible to spend individual time with your children. I think we just need to differentiate and discern how often, what that should look like, how much time, you know, take that expectation right off the table because a lot of parenting books and even podcasts will say, you know, make sure you spend time with each of your children. And depending on who the listener is, they may take that to another level of expectancy. And I know because I have 10 children, it's virtually impossible to do this really well all the time. So because of that, I gave myself a free pass to this. I do the best I can. Um, and maybe that will help someone listening today, but here's some things that we've done in our family. We have date nights with our kids. Uh, you know, we have 10 kids. So after seven days a week passed and seven kids passed after we got to child eight, nine, and 10, we ran out of one day a week per child. That was a really fun theory and a really great idea until we exceeded that amount. So now my husband and I try to connect with maybe one child um, a week or maybe a couple of children a month when it comes to very specific um, dates, you know, um, taking them out, having conversations. But here's some other things that I've done to spend time with my children. Um, because you need to remember as a mom that not all of your children want to spend time with you. It's not how they receive and speak love. They love it when you're spending time with them, if it's something they need or want, but some children don't really crave that. They just want a gift from you or a note. So take note that sometimes spending time with your child will look different. Um, so we have lots of very intentional talks um, when it comes to our children, maybe entering 11 through like 18 we have very intentional talks, you know, going to their bedroom, knocking on their door when you're driving down the road in the car. Um, and I don't mean talks like, let's talk about when this happened, just 
talks. Um, how you doing? What are you thinking? Um, we leave notes for our kids on their beds and pillows, um, sometimes in their notebooks, um, in their car once they're driving. And when they're little, we leave them little notes for them to find. Find ways to connect with your children uh, when it comes to their own interests. Like we had a few of our children love photography. So I would drive them places and spend some time taking pictures or even driving down the road. I encourage that child, bring your camera with us. You never know what you're going to find. I'll be the one to get out of the car, take pictures with that child. Um, so each of your children have different interests, um, whether it's playing Legos or baby dolls or cooking in the kitchen or photography or playing basketball. My husband sometimes in the night will go out to our basketball um, concrete area and he'll turn the lights on and put in some music and just play pig um, with my kids and playing basketball because that's what they wanted to do. The other night at the dinner table, my husband gave each of my um, four youngest children and we've been parenting 28 years. So we're getting a little tired, but this is a huge question and I'm really passionate about it because it's so important. He said to our four youngest children, I'm going to give you each an index card. And I want you to write three ways that you'd like to spend time with mom, three ways I'd like you to spend time with dad, and three ways that you would like to spend time with us as a family. And all of their cards are different. Um, one of my sons said, I'd like you to sit and watch me play Minecraft for an hour without your phone. Just watch me play. One of my girls said, take me bowling. One of the girls said, girls stay out to go shopping. One of my kids said, I want to go to breakfast with grandma and grandpa with you. We just don't know what our kids are thinking and what it's going to mean for them when they're middle-aged, um, teenagers, older, um, but connecting with them is the key. Now, my oldest son, he's 28. He has chosen every Wednesday night. He calls and FaceTimes me and catches up with me. And that's something he chose. So when you start these things when they're young, it's really amazing to see how when they're older, they begin choosing special ways to spend time with you. And so start young and um, don't overcomplicate it. Just ask your kids, what would you like to do? I think that's so key, September. I think too often in our sort of Pinterest perfection society, we want to plan these wonderful, magical unicorn sprinkle events. And that's not always what our kids want or even need. So starting with, you know, ask, just asking the question, what means love and quality time to you? And you might be surprised at what they come up with for their answers, especially if you have toddlers. They might just want to sit and build blocks with you for a few minutes and their love tank will be filled to overflowing. How about you, Kate? Well, I love September that you mentioned about, you know, not all of your kids necessarily want to spend time with you. And I'm thinking about the five love languages. One of them is quality time. That's not my love language. So it wouldn't have been something, you know, that, that was important to me when I was young. I probably didn't, did not want to spend time with my parents, but that's a great that's a great question to ask. To have. I love that index card idea. That's a great idea. Now, I only had one child, so it was a little bit different for me. She kind of couldn't get away from me if she wanted to. But now that I have four grandchildren, I do make an effort to do something special with, with the older ones, particularly. I, I, this weekend, I was away at a conference, and my husband was able to take our oldest grandson and just have him sleep over because my daughter, they were out of town. And he took him and, you know, they, they went out for pizza and watched a movie and took him to church the next day. And my grandson loved that. I mean, he was in heaven to have all the attention from Poppy, you know, just 
man to man and they could talk about real things and deep things and it it bonded them in a way that they hadn't really been bonded before so my job over the next year or so just really make that effort with each one to spend separate time private time where they're just with us just one one of them with the two of us which will make memories and and just be a wonderful fun thing but i think you're right september you can't do it every week and every day with all of your kids especially if you have a big family it's tough but asking them what do they want i just i love that well i don't have 10 kids so i think for me, the difficulty isn't necessarily finding the time to spend with each child because I certainly could, you know, assign each one of them a day of the week to really invest um, on a date or something like that. I think the difficulty for me is allowing the time that I do spend with my kids to count. I think it's easy to only count the big, you know, Pinterest worthy moments like all those pre-planned dates or those special one-on-one dinners or craft sessions. And all those things are really great and and certainly should be sprinkled throughout the year as I'm able to do so. But I think a relationship and really any relationship, but especially the ones with your kids is best made in those daily investments. And, And those don't always look like Hallmark card moments. The reality is, that your child usually just wants to have your attention. They want to talk and they want to be heard. They want to know that they have you at your best and not just your leftovers. So I think a real cheap and easy way to spend time with each child is just to invite them into what you're already doing in the day. So if you want to get some exercise in the morning, great. Ask one of your your kids to come join you and do that with you. If you want to repot some flowers in the afternoon, fine. Invite your son to just scoop some soil. And every moment then doesn't have to be a magical moment to count as meaningful. I actually think one of the best ways to carve out individual time is to serve and to work together. So my kids each take turns being the child of the day. That's what we call it around here. And that comes with both privileges and responsibilities, one of which is to help me cook dinner. And so if it's that child's, you know, responsibility to be to the child of the day. He or she comes into the kitchen and we cook together. And that gives us lots of time to talk. They learn valuable life skills and I get to chat with them about some really important stuff in kind of a non-threatening environment because we're both doing a task. We're just living life together and they really open up at that time because I'm not just sitting across the table staring at them, expecting them to say all the big things. And and one of my other secret weapons to that one-on-one time um, is to do laundry with my kids. And I know that sounds very underwhelming. They usually um, wash and dry it and then put it in a basket for me to fold it. But usually I will invite one of them to come and fold one basket of laundry alongside me. And we fold a basket and while we're folding, we're chatting. And then when that basket is folded, I'll call another child over and they help me fold. And so I, I say all that to say, it's not that I don't plan those meaningful, fun date night. Um, events. But I also allow the everyday moments to matter too. And I think actually, if, if I were to look back on the length of my parenting, I'd have to say that some of those, some of the best conversations I've ever had with my kids and the time invested with them is to just serve alongside them and to recognize that not every moment has to be magical to be meaningful. So with that, how can a mom encourage a teen specifically in their spiritual walk 
when maybe he or she is resistant and pushes away? You know, I have not done this well and right all the years of parenting. So that's the great thing about a podcast is we can share where we've come from, what we've learned, what we've done wrong and what we're trying, but really what we've seen um, reaps the most fruit. And so, because I've been able to see um, all of that in my own life, I'll just share personally. Um, When it comes to encouraging a teen spiritually, when they're resistant and pushing you away, for me, this is what I would say. I would say, you know, sometimes we have to give them a little space, but stay connected in the things that matter. So we're not going to aggressively push the things that they're struggling with spiritually, but we are going to stay connected with them when it comes to their schedule or their, their health or their friendships or how they're doing mentally and emotionally, how they're feeling what they need, what they're thinking about for their future, joining family dinners, the things to them, how they're doing with sports, how are their grades, what, how are your friends, all those things that really matter and maybe not give such pushing points. So there's so much pushback to the spiritual side of things. Sometimes I think we as parents, no, actually I know we get in this state of frenzy and alarm and anxiety, worried that we're going to lose our teens because they start to display this spiritual separation. And I'm not talking about they're so far away. You can't pull them back anymore. I'm talking about, um, they kind of push back and we tend to get anxious about it. So in this fearfulness, we respond to them and when we're afraid, it's almost like a desperation and our kids feel it. They know it. And they're going to push back even more. I'm not saying don't talk about it. I'm not saying don't stay connected about it, but it shouldn't be the only thing you're connecting with them on. Encouraging teenagers never, ever, ever, ever looks like what we are thinking encouragement should look like. So if you think I'm going to encourage my teen today that their hair looks great. And then you tell them their hair looks great. No, it doesn't. My hair doesn't look great. Like they really don't want to hear you as a mom tell them that their hair looks great. They want you to tell them something totally different. Like, Hey, I hope you have a great day. I'll be thinking of you. That, that point, that example is that sometimes we think we know what's going on in their minds and hearts. And it's really sometimes nothing close to what we're thinking. They think on a whole new level of emotion and and acceptance at this age. Um, What used to work for encouraging and connecting isn't the same anymore. Their their brains and their hormones and their neuro um, connectors are all firing in a zillion different places. They're thinking about their future. They're thinking about what they believe. They're thinking about their day, peer pressure. They're thinking about a lot of things and we don't know all of that's going on in there. So I've discovered that if I encourage with positive tones of what they're doing right and always in making a point to just connect, um, this kind of redefines your relationship. One thing that I've heard the most from my teenagers is I wish that we could just have a talk or a text that didn't have to do with something you'd like me to do, change or improve. And I thought as parents, we tend to, you know, pick up your coat park in a different spot in the driveway, make sure you're home by curfew. Did you take lunch? How come you forgot your books? Don't forget to clean up the bathroom. Why'd you leave the towels on the floor? Because we're trying to keep them being responsible 
which are important things, but we forget to connect with them on an emotional, spiritual level with positivity as well. And so um, the biggest thing I would say is to just not aggressively react in fear to your kids and try to connect with them on a very personal level and understand how their brains and their minds and their emotions are working. I think all teenagers, and I'm going to say something here that I think gets a lot of pushback in Christian circles and many who are listening might completely disagree with me and that is fine. But I think all teenagers push away from their parents to some extent. And it looks different from teen to teen because there are some very compliant teenagers who maybe outwardly obey and do all the things that they're set, they're told and they look very obedient, but on the inside, there might be some internal turmoil um, that you don't even see raging just underneath the surface. It's natural, and it's a healthy part of their slow steps to independence. Now, that's not an excuse for, for um, accepting poor behavior. I think that just needs to be said, and when we say it out loud and we kind of um, release that, then we're not so shocked and surprised as parents when teens do what teens do, and that is to, to head towards independence, take small steps towards independence. They're testing the waters of making decisions while they're still under the safety net of your home. But when they push, they really want to see that you can't be pushed away. They want to know that you're not going to abandon them. I also think that it's really completely normal for a teen to wrestle with their faith. And we, we can debate about the reasons for this, but maybe this particular episode isn't really the right space for that. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that um, the black and white absolutes of their childhood and the childlike faith that accompanies like the naivety and the innocence that you have when you're really little, it kind of gets displaced by disappointments and the harsh realities of the world that they're seeing as they get older. And so by the teen years, kids have learned things about humanity and the world that they can't unlearn. Things about injustice and brokenness, hypocrisy and sin. So they're, they're beginning to wrestle all of these ideas that you may be ingrained in them when they were young and they're living in the tension of those black and white ideas and wrestling with them along with these new discoveries about humanity. So wrestling doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can actually be a really um, healthy sign that your child is tearing away from your faith in Jesus to establish their own faith in him apart from you. And that's not a bad thing because that's true faith. It feels rough in the moment because it really is a tearing away, but it's leading to an independent faith. So I would just really encourage you to walk out your faith sincerely. Admit when you blow it. Apologize when you need to. Be willing to admit that you don't have all the answers and maybe even admit that you're struggling in your faith or with unbelief. Pray that God helps you and helps them in unbelief. And lastly, just remember that God loves your child more than you ever could. He's the God who left the 99 to search for the one. 
So like September said, it can be very fearful when you watch your child wrestling, especially in the area of faith. But pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide and direct them. Don't assume that you have to take on the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do the work. Hand it over to him. So moving forward, we had a lot of questions submitted by listeners um, with regards to homeschooling. So many, in fact, that we could probably make an entire episode about that topic alone, and we might do that in the future. But we also understand that not all of our listeners choose to homeschool, and we support you in whatever way you feel that God is leading and has led you to educate your children. So I've kind of summed up um, a lot of these questions and compiled them, and, and we will maybe tackle them in the near future. But I just want to ask one because this was a pervading question that kept coming up. I think it can really apply to all kinds of homes, whether you homeschool your children or you send them to public school and you, you um, have little ones at home with you during the day. A listener would like to know what our best tips are for keeping babies and littles busy while we're trying to homeschool our older kids. So some of the best tips for keeping babies and littles busy, I would say when you're homeschooling your older kids for me would have been to work through stations. So I had stations for each of the age categories. And when I say stations, I mean things like busy bags for preschoolers, playpen time for the toddler, math with seventh through ninth grade at the same time. So stations where everyone has a place. You don't have to call it stations, but if everyone has a place and they know where that place is for the allotted time, it sounds very legalistic and very structured, but honestly, that is really structure, I should say, is one of the only ways to kind of get through that season when you have little kids and bigs and you're homeschooling. Another thing I did was combine subjects and grades together. So I didn't have a lot of um, different subjects going at the same time. I wouldn't have um, five different kids in um, pre-K math and three different kids in biology. I would do them together. So I would have three kids doing um, science in high school and then I would have the little kids working on some cursive handwriting, something that keeps them busy. And then we would swap and I would work with them individually later in the afternoon. I would pick the third tip I would say is I would pick subjects that were more difficult for some of the older kids that really needed concentrated efforts. And I would do those when the little kids were sleeping or taking naps or having quiet time. I don't want to do that in the middle of some chaos. And the fourth thing, and this is really a whole talk for me. I do a workshop on this, but um, this whole topic, this whole question. But the fourth thing I would say, you know, to keep this concise is I would very carefully pair up my kids as buddies. So an older child would be responsible for a younger child. And so let's say my older child has um, their science and their math and their spelling done, and the little one is ready for a snack break. They take that child, they do snack with them while I do another subject with another child, and we rotate out as buddies. Everyone's still getting their work done, but someone's always helping with another child. It's not because we have slave labor and my kids are made to parent the kids that I had. It's all about teamwork and helping. And it really gives the kids skills in taking care of younger children and time management. And so, you know, just to keep it concise and short, those are the four 
the four things I would say right off the top of my head. Yeah, I think having sibling school, that's what we call it around here, September, is is one of my biggest go-tos, is to just assign your older kids a time in the day where they are responsible to act as teacher or playmate or helper to a younger one, and to really reiterate that that time is for the tot. It's not for the older kid. So it should be the older child asking the toddler or the the little one, what would you like to do? And it should be an example of an older child investing in the younger child. And and so that younger tot really feels loved and provided for, but it also is, is giving your older child a chance to learn service right in their own home. Now, I talk about... Um, I devote an entire chapter of this topic in my book, Homeschool Bravely. It's called Little People and Big Messes. And in that chapter, I give dozens and dozens of practical sort of no fuss ways to not just occupy your tots, but really delight in them during the homeschool day. So I'm not going to go into a lot of of those practical tips. If you want to grab my book, you can read through that chapter. But I'll just share um, two kind of go-to tips that I think could help any mom, whether you homeschool or not, to really devote some essential time, some key time to those toddlers so that they, you don't just have to occupy them, that you can really delight in them. The first is to really create a schedule for your tot that includes intentional time with you. I think it's really easy to assume that you're spending a lot of time with your toddler because you are dealing with a lot of their mess and you're doing sort of the have-tos of the day, changing diapers, getting them a snack. But the mischief that stems from a toddler is often there because they have a desire for undivided attention from you. So acknowledge that and give it to them. In fact, give it to them first thing in the morning they should be the first line item in the docket of your homeschool day. If you give your toddler 15 minutes at the very start of the day of undivided attention to do something just for them, and you can call it something fancy, you can call it their little tot school or whatever, do something simple like playing blocks or whatever it is they wanna do, you will be filling up their love tank right away in the morning. And chances are after they've had that undivided attention for just a few minutes right out of the gate, they'll toddle off and be content for a few minutes and you can get started um, with great gusto into whatever else in your day needs your attention. Then like September said, rotate those older siblings in through the day to play teacher with your younger ones. And the second thing is, um, is a little bit less practical perhaps, but I would just really encourage you to stop looking at your toddlers as sand in the gears as little interruptions to your day and allow your toddler to maybe be the lesson, the maybe the only lesson that your kids learn in that day. Allow your patience and your tenderness towards them and maybe their interruption to demonstrate a far bigger and better lesson for your older kids than that math worksheet would ever be. And when you're struggling, to live in the tension between home and school. I guess my biggest piece of advice is this, choose home every time. You will not regret it. We have one more question and this is a little bit lighter. We've tackled a lot of heavy things today, ladies, and I appreciate your candid answers, but somebody wants to know, how did you and your spouse meet? 
my husband and I, we met on a blind date and that's the end of the story. <laughs> Short and simple. <laughs> How about you, Kate? Well, my, mine's a little more complex. Um, back in, gosh, 1981, I was 26 years old and I was, back then I was an actress in New York. I wanted to be a Broadway star till we met the Lord a few years later. But um, I actually met my husband on the national tour of The King and I, starring Yul Brynner. I was traveling all over the country as a young actress and he joined the tour as the associate conductor. And we quite literally met and fell in love across the footlights. It was very romantic and wonderful. And then we got married and then we met the Lord. So we kind of did it out of order, but you know, hey, everybody's different. That's your story. And that's how God brought you together and brought you to him. That's awesome. Yep. It's been 36 years. So we're making it work. That's quite an accomplishment. We, um, my husband and I met at college. I was a sophomore and he was a freshman. We were the same age. I just happened to, um, go to school a little bit earlier. It was a Christian college in Florida and we saw each other from across the college dining hall and it really was love at first sight. So I'm a firm believer in that. I, I knew the moment that I saw him that I was going to marry him. And I actually, um, at the time had been kind of interested in some other guy, but the moment I saw my husband Dane across the room, I just felt this like instant peace. I just knew this was the man I was going to marry. So I remember running all the way across campus and up nine flights of stairs to um, my roommates in my dorm and, and told them in all the gushing flowering language, I saw the man I'm going to marry. And of course their response was just to sort of roll their eyes and, and man, she's really theatric today. Um, I didn't know his name or where he was from. I knew nothing about him other than I just knew I was going to marry him. And over the course of a few weeks, we kept seeing each other around campus. And finally, one day, he just got up the gumption um, while I was checking my mail at the college post office to just come up and introduce himself and invite me out to dinner that evening. And of course, as they say, the rest is history. And I'll just insert here for historical record as a quick aside that my roommates who rolled their eyes and sort of just laughed the whole thing off, they were our bridesmaids in my wedding. So that's all the time we have today. I know we weren't able to get to all the questions that were submitted, but the good news is in the next few weeks, we hope to tackle a few of these um, over on Instagram. So if you're not already following us over there, we'd invite you to give us a like so you don't miss out. And here's the even better news. We're taking the show on the road. We've teamed up with the great homeschool conventions and we'll be hosting an Ask Us Anything style panel at three of their convention locations. So if you live near the Greenville, South Carolina, Cincinnati, Ohio, or Rochester, New York areas, we'd love for you to join us there. We'll be tackling questions about homeschooling and parenting, time management, marriage, character development, self-care, ministry, friendship, all of those things and more. Tickets are already on sale for the entire convention, and we're just really one small part of the three-day-long run of fun. So we would highly encourage you to head on over to Great Homeschool Conventions and grab your ticket now. We'd love to meet you. Thanks for listening.